you're listening to the Sojourn Church Carlisle podcast. Over the next three weeks, we will be seeking to further understand our church's value of maturity. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. In this sermon series, we will be walking through Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20-27 through 27, to help us more fully understand what it means for us as a church to guard our hearts with wisdom. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is James Fields. I serve here as the lead pastor of Sojourn Church Carlisle. And it's indeed a great honor and privilege to have you with us here this morning, um, second Sunday in uh, the new year. So we're thankful to the Lord. Excuse me, third Sunday in the new year, I believe. Uh, This morning, we'll continue in our series on maturity. We'll be looking at the passage that we've been looking at for the last three weeks, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord spoken over you. This morning, verse 20 reads as follows. It says, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead, carefully consider the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or the left. Keep your feet away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Imagine with me once again, downtown Louisville on the waterfront. It's a beautiful fall, crisp day. There's an artist who is painting a beautiful mural on the sidewalk. And there's a man walking down the street and he accidentally kicks over a bucket full of water. The water then immediately flows from the bucket down the sidewalk and completely ruins the painted mural on the sidewalk. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, whose fault is this? Who's to blame for this disaster? Was it the person who kicked the bucket? Was it the artist who was painting near the bucket of water? What if I told you that was none of them? Would you believe me? What if I told you that it was a person, the person who's to blame was not even mentioned within the story? Who's to blame for that spill? Who's to be blamed for the damaged mural on the sidewalk? Well, how about the person who filled the bucket and left it there without any supervision? Rethink this story with me. We shared this story two weeks ago. And we talked about how this bucket represents not just a bucket full of water, but the bucket represents our hearts. And Jesus had a lot to say about our hearts, specifically in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says these words. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The kick that we saw or felt to, to cause the bucket to spill over represents the pain, the suffering, the grief 
the unexplained trials and tribulations that we all experience within this world from time to time. And the water represents what's in our hearts, both good as well as what's not so good. It's a good reminder for us, church, that our reactions have a source. It's a good reminder for us that the things that come out of us have an origin, and the Bible describes it as being the heart. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you. We do thank you. We ask, Lord, that you would use your word to minister to our hearts right now. Father, I pray that you, as always, would take the little I have and make much of it, God. Glorify yourself as only you can. Hide me behind your cross so your people may see you and not me. Use my feeble words and allow the words that would cause people to repent and place their faith in Christ to be seen and known and experienced. We submit ourselves to the authority of your word even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Maturity, multi-ethnicity, missionality. These are words that we all have become too familiar with us. This is, and this week has been a rough week for us all. In a real sense, America's bucket has been kicked. And we're witnessing what's coming out of it. And beloved, I encourage you to do two things. I encourage you, one, not to look away. I implore you not to explain it away, but friends, I beg of you not to wish that these tragic, unforeseen, and untimely events would just disappear. For this moment in our history is revealing to us something more precious than gold. It is revealing to us one of God's greatest gifts to us as a nation. It's revealing our hearts. For the past three weeks, we've been unpacking our core value of maturity. Two weeks ago, I explained what is maturity. Last week, Pastor Nick discussed how can we grow into maturity. And this being our final week on this series of maturity, we'll consider today the question, why maturity is needed? Why is it needed? Something that you may not know about me is that I love lambs. I mean, I really, really love lamb. Uh, like, like I would eat it every day if it was possible and if it was affordable. <laughs> Specifically, I love lamb chops. As you know, lamb is a very expensive meat. My love for lamb is an acquired taste. Now, let me tell you how my love for lamb started. It, it didn't start because I was rich enough to afford it. It didn't start because I was curious enough to even try it. My love for lamb didn't, didn't, didn't start because I was smart enough to embrace it. My love for lamb started because someone introduced me to it. My love for lamb started because of someone else's love for it. My great-grandmother, who I dearly call Gramps, graciously shared her love for lamb with me as a young boy. And as a young boy, Gramps, whenever I would visit her, she would pro provide me with a little piece of lamb whenever she cooked some for herself. Over time, I started to eat it. 
With time, I started to like it, and eventually, I grew to love it. And I have not kept this or remained selfish with my love. Personally, I've tried to pass on my love to lamb for, for, to others. I've not withheld this joy to myself as a father and as a husband. I have shared my lamb with my wife and my children. You should see my kids eat lamb. It's quite a spectacle to see that. As an uncle and cousin, I've shared my love for lamb with my extended family. And even as a pastor of this church, I've tried to share lamb with my CG members and even other church members within, within our congregation. You see, my love for lamb was a shared love. In other words, my love for lamb was created because of my gramps' love for lamb, not simply because of my own love for it. Have you ever considered this? Isn't it amazing that human beings love to share their love with, for things with others? Isn't it amazing that the things that we love cannot be contained to ourselves? Isn't it amazing that when someone truly loves something or someone, it is hard, dare I say impossible, to constrain that love to others? In Brian Chappell's great book, Unlimited Grace, which we'll be studying this year, I got four sign-ups, so we did double my number from last week, so please double it again, if you don't mind. Sign up. Hint, hint. He mentions this phenomenon when he says these words. He says in his book, he says, the alcoholic may hate the consequences of his addiction and intensely love his family, but at the time of the intoxication, the liquor means more. The alcoholic may love her children with ardent devotion, yet love more the reward of a job, distancing her from them. An adulterer may tell his spouse with full sincerity, she means nothing to me, I love you. But at the time of the unfaithfulness, the passion is love more than the spouse. And the Christian who sins may say with complete honesty, honesty, I love Jesus. But at the moment of surrender or rebellion, the sin is love more than the Savior. And he ends with these wonderful words. He says, an ultimate love ultimately controls. So, so why is maturity needed? Why are we pursuing this thing? Simply because of point number one is this, an ultimate love ultimately controls. This is very similar to the notion that we share what we love. And we hear echoes of this notion within this passage that we've read this morning. Pay close attention to Solomon's word in verses 20 and 23. Solomon says, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why should we pay attention? He tells us in, verse, in the next verses, he says, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Well, why should we keep wisdom within our hearts? He tells us in verse 23, guard yourself, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Notice with me that our growth into maturity is closely connected to our love for God. And our loving God doesn't just happen 
on its own. We've said this many times here at this church, but I'll say it again for those who may not have heard it before. Our view of God determines our pursuit of him. This is very important for us. I love how James chapter 1 verses 5 and 8 says it. James puts it in these words. He says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. That means that God is not selfish in giving us what we desire or giving us wisdom. He says, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea tossed and driven by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his or all her ways. Notice with me what James is calling us to. He's calling to us that if you lack wisdom, you need to ask God to give you what you lack. But he also gives us a warning. He says, But when you ask, you must ask in faith without doubting. James, what what are you doubting here? What are you warning us not to doubt? What James is warning us not to doubt is the goodness of God. What James is causing us not to doubt is doubting God's love for us, his care for us, his provision for us. He says, ask God, knowing that he wants to give it to you. But when you ask, ask in faith. Church, it's a good reminder for us that our view of God matters. That how you view God matters immensely to how you grow in him. Some of us, under the sound of my voice, we see him as our greatest critic. We we think that God is never satisfied or pleased with us that he always finds a fault in us, that he's watching and waiting over you to make one little mistake in order for you to prove yourself unworthy to him. If you've been seeing God in this way, this is not the God of the scriptures. And then others of us don't see him as a critic. Some of us see him as a coach. We see him as a person or we see him as a being who's only pleased with us if We do exactly what he tells us to do if we obey him. And obeying him, we we obey him because he's right. And what he's told us to do is right, but we've learned to dichotomize delight from our obedience. We obey him only because he's right. We don't delight in his obedience. This is the misunderstanding of God that believes that he's always wanting you to be perfect. He's always wanting you to change. He's always wanting you to grow. You're improving, but your improvement is never enough. There's always room to grow. Some of us see him as a critic. Some of us see him as a coach. And then some of us see him as our counselor. And this counselor view is he gives sound advice, but only when you need him to give it. God is only there if you need him, but but he's too busy to actually care what is happening in your everyday life. And church family, I'm here this morning to, to say to you that your view of God matters. 
And if you've been viewing him as a critic, one who's never pleased or satisfied with you, or if you've been viewing him as a coach who's only pleased with you if you do exactly what he tells you to do, if you viewed him as a counselor, one who you can only go to with your problems, but he doesn't care about the everyday happenings of your life, I want to, tell, I want to say this to you. We've all been there. We've all had misunderstandings of the character, nature, goodness of God. We all struggle in this area. But may I remind you this morning of how God has revealed himself in Scripture. You see, God has not revealed himself as a critic. He's not revealed himself as a coach. And he has not revealed himself simply as a counselor. God has revealed himself as a covenant-keeping God. Look with me at Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 9. These words that God speaks to his nation of Israel, speaking over them and, and placing identity over them. Listen to what he says. He says, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the people of the earth, the face of the earth. The Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were numerous, then all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Listen to similar words in the New Testament from the Apostle Peter. Peter is speaking in 1 Peter 2.9, and he speaks these words over the people, over their identity. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And lastly, but definitely not least, let's remind ourselves of our memory verse from last year, Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one, one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Notice with me that in each one of these passages of scripture that we just read, that God's love always predates our love for him. That God's love always comes first. Let me say it another way, as we said it many times in this church, that our identity precedes our function. That the first thing that God speaks to his people about is not what they do, not where they go. The thing that God always reminds his people about is their identity of being his. I hope that speaks to someone this morning. I hope that encourages someone this morning. If God was to speak to you this morning, the first words he would say to you is that you are mine and I am yours. Identity precedes function. 
As a people, we focus so much on the function, we focus so much on the doing, and we focus so much on the being engaged. But don't get me wrong, those things are very important. They're very important. But those things are a byproduct of our identity of being sons and being daughters of the Most High God. They're not a means for you to be accepted. They're not a means for you to be criticized. Our identity precedes our function. So how does someone grow in their love for God? What does it mean to walk in Christian maturity? Well, like my love for lambs grew slowly over time, in a similar way, God grows our love for him by slowly expanding our desire for him. Listen to what Brian Chapel continues to say in his book, Unlimited Grace. He says these words, he says, real change, real power over seemingly intractable patterns of sin and selfishness comes when Christ becomes our preeminent love. When that happens, all that pleases and honors him becomes the source of our deepest pleasure, our highest aim and greatest effort. We honor him not merely out of a sense of duty and resolve or to keep our distance from an angry God, but because our greatest delight is pleasing the one we love the most. This week as I was studying this passage of Scripture, I was kindly reminded of a simple verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 where Jesus says these famous words in the Beatitudes. He says these, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I I just thought about, I just just meditating on that, that, that scripture all this week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Notice with me, when will they be filled? When will they be filled? Jesus says they will be filled as they learn to hunger and thirst after God. A lot of us want to be filled. (laughs) A lot of us don't want to hunger and thirst after God. (laughs) The way that we grow after God is not just asking God to fill us. The way that we grow in God is asking God to take our limited capacity and make more of it and expand it. So maybe the answer to walking closely with God isn't associated with our our contentment, but our discontentment. Maybe walking closely with God isn't being affiliated with our satisfaction, but our dissatisfaction. Maybe walking closer with God isn't so exclusively aligned with right doctrine, but with a right relationship. It's a good reminder for us as a church to be reminded that God knows where you are. He knows how limited you are. And he's here to help you to expand you and to grow you where he wants you to go. It's much like unconditioned lungs that struggle to receive enough oxygen during physical exertion. (laughs) 
You're trying to expand your lung capacity when you have not worked out in a long time. Many of us may be experiencing this right now with New Year's resolutions. We're picking up weights or we're running around Iroquois Park. We're doing things that we normally wouldn't do because we want to get in shape for the new year. My wife and I actually have a little thing going on right this year that I'm excited about to help us get in shape. But, but it's like unconditioned lungs that struggle to receive enough oxygen during physical exertion. It's like a nursing baby that, that's slowly expanding his or her stomach capacity with each late night feeding. It's like weak and fatigued muscles that are learning to, to, to lift weights beyond their capabilities or their, their, their power or their abilities to do so. God takes us where we are and he slowly expands us and he slowly allows us to to, to stretch out our limited capacity into more and more and more and more. Look with me in verse 24 to see what does it not look, what does it mean to not walk into maturity? Look at verse 24 for me. He says, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward and fix your gaze straight ahead. Notice with me that walking and growing in wisdom takes intentional planning and intentional pursuit of God. Walking in wisdom isn't just what you do, but it's also what you don't do. Walking in wisdom isn't just what you say, but it's also what you don't say. Walking in wisdom isn't just where you reside in life, but also the places that you avoid. Last month, on December 28th, 2020, a blogger, Daniel Wallen, wrote an article, 10 Reasons Why New New Year's Resolutions Fail. In this article, he mentioned the following 10 reasons why New Year's resolutions fail. Number one, he says, you're treating a marathon like a sprint. (laughs) I love that because that's exactly what we do in our Christian walk. We're treating a marathon race that God has placed before us like a sprint. In church family, Soldier and Church Carlisle, as we enter into this semester of maturity, here's a warning for us all. To walk in wisdom is not making a temporary commitment like a New Year's resolution. It's not just having a desire to grow. It's not just having a a plan to change. It is not just making a promise to be different or to think different. To walk in wisdom is more like a long-term commitment. It's more like the covenantal vows that you make at your wedding day. It's not the collection of knowledge. It's the commitment to the one who has all knowledge. It's not the acquisition of knowledge. It's the application of knowledge. And it's not the pursuit of knowing more. It's the pursuit of knowing God. If you get God you get wisdom. So why is maturity needed? Number one, it's needed because 
And ultimate love ultimately controls. But number two, the reason why maturity is needed is because walking in wisdom is not a destination, but walking in wisdom is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. If you don't get anything else from my sermon this morning, I hope that you get that point. I hope you can take that to the bank and deposit it into your bank account and gain interest off of it because that is a point that I think is so far missing in our Christian discipleship today. That walking in wisdom is not a destination. Walking in wisdom is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's every day getting up through the highs and lows through the ebbs and flows of life. It's having an anchor in Christ, regardless of what's happening in one's life. And I love James chapter one because he talks about that. He says, um, the doubter is like the one who is tossed to and fro like like on a sea, on the seashore. If you can think about a boat on a turbulent sea, the best thing you can do if you're on a turbulent sea is not try to fight through it, the best thing you can do is put an anchor down because the anchor will hold you. The anchor will keep you. And regardless of what's happening on top of the waters, regardless of the ebbs and flow that is happening, you have an anchor that will hold you steady through the storm. Jesus is that anchor. He is that anchor. There's no one else. He is the anchor that will keep you grounded. He is the anchor that will keep you steady. He is the anchor that will not allow you to float off. Brothers and sisters, hear me. Walking in wisdom is a lifestyle. So let me give you some practical ways in which we can live this, this month, this year, at, at that's walking in wisdom as a lifestyle. Let me give you three quick ways. One, if you've never read the Bible with your spouse, if you've never done that before, don't sign up for a Bible plan that requires you to read three to four chapters a day and then get upset why you can't keep up. Please don't do that. Because again, walking in wisdom is not a destination. It's not about you reading three or four chapters a day. And being frustrated and arguing why you can't keep up. Walking in wisdom is a lifestyle. If you never fasted before, a 40-day fast may be too much for you. (laughs) Start with a three-day, maybe two-day, maybe a 12-hour, maybe a six-hour. If you never... Learn, if you've never taught your kids theology, if you've never had that experience or you've never done that, don't buy out the kids' section of Lifeway and purchase every book that you want to use in a two-month, two-month time span. Why, Pastor James? Well, because walking in wisdom is not a destination. It's a lifestyle. It's a commitment. Every day, every hour, every minute, through the ups and through the downs, through the success and through the failures, through the arguments and through the joys, I'm walking in wisdom before the Lord. 
So I hear someone asking, what does it look like, Pastor James? <laughs> what does it look like to walk in wisdom as a lifestyle, not simply as a destination? Well, first thing first is this. Be honest and admit, admit to God and to yourself if walking with him isn't enjoyable for you. Be honest with God and be honest with yourself that if in this season, walking with God is not enjoyable for you. Be honest with him. Listen, our God is big enough to handle your disappointments with him. Our God is big enough to handle your disappointments with the word of God. Stop pretending and be real with God. God, I'm reading your word and I'm not getting anything. I'm hearing your word and I'm not getting anything. God, enlighten my ears, enlighten my eyes. Give me an appetite for your word. God, I have this much capacity. I desire this much capacity. Help me grow as, you, as your grace would allow. So why is maturity needed? Maturity is needed because an ultimate love ultimately controls. Maturity is needed because walking in wisdom is not a destination. Walking in wisdom is a lifestyle. And lastly, why is maturity needed? Maturity is needed because you can't love God apart from knowing God's love for you. Love with 1 John 4.10 says, it says, And love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4.19 says it this way, We love because he first loved us. So what if this is you today? What, what if you're standing before me and you say, yeah, Pastor, Pastor James, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I'm walking with, my, my walking with God is not enjoyable for me. I'm not hearing the voice of God. What should I do? How should I respond? Let me give you two things, two ways to consider. Number one, know your capacity. Be honest with yourself. If you are at a limited capacity, start small. Don't overwhelm yourself. What God desires more than just you getting into the word is God wants you to delight in him as being the word made flesh. It's not about just you getting a check off the checkbox of you reading God's word. God wants to grow a desire in you because when you have that desire and you have that knowledge of God's love for you as an individual, it propels you and it motivates you to seek him in relationship. So number one, start small. Start small. And ask God to grow your capacity as you start small. Don't stay small. Ask God to grow you where you are. Number two, know your constraints. Stay committed. Commitment. Don't stay committed, but don't overcommit yourself. Again, if you've never read a Bible study with your spouse, don't sign up for a plan that requires you to read three, four, five, six, seven, eight chapters a day. That's just insane. It's insane. I love what Daniel Wallen said in his article about 10 reasons why New Year's resolutions fail. He says this. He says, small changes stick better because they aren't intimidating. If you do it right, you'll barely even notice them. 
If you have a lot of bad habits today, the last thing you need to do is remodel your entire life overnight. Want to lose weight? Stop it with the crash diets and excessive exercise plans. Start small. God knows where you are better than you know where you are. Start small and allow God's grace to propel you forward. Secondly, we should not only have to be honest with ourselves and humbly admit where we are with God, but we also should ask him to give us, to help us grow in our capacity to have a greater commitment to him. It's a good reminder for us that we can't fix ourselves. (laughs) You can't fix your heart. You can't make yourself love God apart from the atoning grace of God in your life. It won't happen by you behaving better. It won't happen by you going to the right church or having the right job or having the right salary. It won't happen to you by marrying the right person. It won't happen by you having enough children or attending the right church. It won't happen by you pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps. It won't happen by you thinking yourself happy through meditation or serving countless hours at the local food pantry. It won't happen by being nice and kind and a good person to everyone you meet. The only hope that we have is in God sending his son Jesus to hang on a bloody cross and God sending his spirit to have him resurrected from an empty tomb to serve as a remedy for our broken and often wandering hearts. So what should this look like within our daily lives? What could this look like in our daily lives? I've created, I I, I want to share three images with you to help you understand. Some of us, as we look at our lives and we kind of see our lives, um, we think the trajectory of the Christian life looks like this. Maybe you didn't get that. Is there a slide with an upward trajectory? Right before that? If not, that's okay. There's none. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. So how should we move forward? Look with me in verses 25 and 27. It says this, carefully consider the path of your feet. And all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Hear the words of Solomon to his son as he implores him to continue on the path that will lead him and shape him in the way of righteousness and not to devour, detour, excuse me, not to detour from it for any reason or for any person. You know, I love the image of a dog walking alongside its master. As many of you know, my family and I, we got a COVID dog. I do say a COVID dog because we got it during COVID uh, season this summer. His name is Bear. He's still with us. I haven't gotten rid of him. I was tempted many times to do so, but I haven't done it yet, and I won't do it at all. And it's amazing to me that I got a dog because I really never liked dogs. I've always grew up being afraid of them, especially dogs who weren't trained or can't be controlled by his or her master. I remember at my old church in New Jersey, my wife was invited to a, one of her friend's house. And as we pulled up to the house, she had this 
tall dog, about this tall. It was a poodle, full-grown poodle. And he was just looking like he wanted to bite my head off as I tried to get in the house. And she's pulling the dog back saying, come on in, come on in. As soon as you come in, he'll be just fine. And I'm thinking like, no, this, this door is the only thing that's saving my life right now as her dog is barking and, and, and yelling and yelping at me uncontrollably. But luckily, by God's grace, yes, when I entered the house, he, he calmed down, which was amazing to me at that time. Now, being a dog owner myself, I've become much more sympathetic to dog owners and their ability or inability to train them effectively. My dog is not trained effectively. We're still working on that. And it's, I've, I've come to understand it's not e- as easy as it looks to train a dog. For me, the image of walking, a man walking his or her dog, reflects our dependence or lack thereof upon God himself. I'm always admired, especially in Iroquois, of seeing the dog walkers who can just say a command and their dog would just walk with them step for step. It just amazes me. There's a philosophy that reflects this reality. It's called TBK. It's a paradigm of what maturity before God could and should look like for the Christian. And TBK is simply an acronym that stands for I think, I believe, I know. The T in the the TBK stands for I think. And this represents a Christian who thinks that walking with God is important, but they constantly struggle with maintaining complete focus on God's word, prayer, and community. They're connected to God. They're saved by him, but they're constantly distracted by the cares and reality within our world. Love what Paul says about this in Romans 7. He says, for I do not understand what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law. That is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is within me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, raging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with, your, with my mind, I myself am serving the law, but with my flesh, the law of sin. You know, this aspect of I think, this person who I recognize as I think, I think we've all been there, or maybe you're there right now. That's okay. This is the image that I have of that person as they walk their dog. <laughs> It's a person who's walking their dog, but their dog is interested in everything but them, right? Sniffing the ground, pulling them around. This is what I look like walking my dog. He's not trained very well. We're trying to work on that, but this is exactly what, we, what I look like when I'm trying to walk around. He, he is connected to his owner, but he's distracted and has his attention on everything else but him. The B stands for I believe. This is a person who has learned the value of self-discipline and and spiritual disciplines. 
They can maintain a focus on God's word, prayer, and community, but they often do these things out of, a, out of, uh, out of obligation and routine. They lack the zeal and sincere joy of following God from a place of gratitude and thanksgiving. They are often motivated to do the things of God, spiritual disciplines, through shame, guilt, and fear. This is what I imagine that to look like. Uh, I think it's the next slide. This, oh, that one. Yeah, oh, that's okay. You can see it. (laughs) Just moseying along, right? You're there, you're connected to God, but there's no sense of zeal or or, or joyful obedience. It's just you're just kind of walking along like Eeyore (laughs) is walking in the park. The last K stands for I know. And this represents a person that enjoys a real authentic relationship with Jesus They experience him on a daily basis, not just because of their involvement with spiritual disciplines, because of their relationship with him. They maintain their spiritual disciplines as a result of having the pure joy of knowing God and his presence as they commune with him. Their life verse, if you will, be Psalm 1, 1 through 3, that reads this way. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his or her delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he or she meditates on it day and night. He or she is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. If I had to have an image of what that dog could look like, it would be like this. (laughs) See, this dog has the leash which represents the word of God, not just holding on to it from every distraction that it experiences. God's word isn't there just to kind of be this yoke that's put up around your neck. But I love this image of that dog of having the leash within his mouth, holding on to it, understanding that the master doesn't have to tell the dog what to do, The dog values the instructions of the master, and the master trusts the dog with every instruction. God's word should not just be something we do. God's word should be what what we're becoming more like every day. It's not something that we just function out of. We embody, we exemplify, and we absorb the word of God in every way. Love what A.W. Tozer says about this in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, the man who has God for his treasure has, has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be tempered so that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. We ask in every way that you would grow us in maturity, God. We thank you, God that you've called us to maturity because an ultimate love ultimately controls. We thank you, God, that walking in wisdom is not a destination, but it's a lifestyle. Help us, Lord, to be fully committed to you every day of our lives, walking in wisdom. 
And Father, finally, we thank you that you can't, we can't love God apart from knowing God's love for us. This year, God, would you show us and help us to know more intimately the reality and the authentic love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. And may that knowledge of, that, of your love for us spur us, encourage us, motivate us to greater love for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.